0: I cannot believe my good fortune today. Here I am with, is, is it Larry Van Lone?
1: It's actually Van Lone. Van yeah. Lone. The double O, it's a Dutch thing. It's like the double O, like Roosevelt It's yep. pronounced O in okay. Dutch.
0: And the N is still N. Van. Van Lone. Van
1: Lone. It's two Van words. Lone. And it's Dutch. And of course, I'm, <clears throat> I'm accustomed, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm accustomed to responding to Van Loon, of course, you know, growing up. Right. You know. Right. Uh, and, you know, grade school kids can be so cruel, you know. I grew up with Looney Bird and Looney Tunes. Oh, please. Of course, on the other hand, middle-aged blues musicians can be pretty cruel, too. So.
0: <laughs> Seriously?
1: I can't even say the things that they call me.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> ah, that's Crazy. Um, Well, my grandfather was um, a a huge reader, and so very often... But he was not a world traveler, and he wasn't a, you know... um,
1: Well, he probably read some Hendrik Willem van Loon, then.
0: Well, he would mispronounce things frequently. Oh, yeah. Because he would read them, but not hear them said, you know, so... Well, maybe he
1: read a lot of Hendrik Willem van Loon, then.
0: (laughs) Maybe so. (laughs) Yes, so, I mean, I can see how it happens, (laughs) and I'm sure half the time it's... Honest mistake.
1: So, so what would he do, though?
0: Oh, you know, I'm trying to think of a particular word and the way he'd say it. My mother can remember, but you know, he died probably over 20 years ago, so it's been a while, but. Um, if my mother's listening, she will inform me at a later date of some of the words.
1: <laughs> She'll have a few details to fill in. Yes, she will. And collect them. Collect them while you can, man. You Absolutely. I, right. I wish it was stuff that I could still, you know, you know, talk to my dad and say, you know, all that stuff about, you know, like your brother and or all those other people, you know, back in the 1400s. What about them? You
0: know? <laughs> right. Right. So it's Larry Van Lone, Van that Lone? I, who I am sitting with this afternoon here in Nashville. Um, I've loved your Hammond playing for years. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you so much. So I'm really excited, and I, you know, I did a little bit of research um, driving over here, and uh, looked up some recordings and some things. But you, you know, there's many things I don't know about you, so. Um, we should just jump in and those
1: things. I've managed to keep them secret up until now. But No, <laughs> this time it's a tell-all.
0: Oh, <laughs> the sorted details. We have no
1: secrets, nothing to hide. My life is an open book.
0: <laughs> so there you go. So it's piano <laughs> or organ. Which? What would you consider your main instrument? As well, a you know,
1: I really, you know, I've I've found that being in Nashville, it's good to specialize in something. It's it, it gets things get. It, it, it's harder to market when you do a bunch of different things so so what I've kind of nailed it down is I, I try to specialize in ham and organ styles so to speak just because it's still a real useful instrument in just about any kind of a genre and the, the playing field is a little bit you know a little bit it's a little thinner you know yeah. It's more thinly populated, let's put it that way.
0: Well, it's an intimidating-looking piece of wood, for one thing. Well,
1: you know, it's 450 pounds of mahogany. You
0: know. <laughs> right. Right, and you say Hammond organ styles. Do you mean, like, being able to um, emulate certain... Um, well,
1: yeah, there's, there's like, for example, there's... Um, there's a kind of Hammond organ player, uh, playing that we associate with, like, some of the, what they call acid jazz, which, which is really just kind of like, you know, 60s organ, you know, soul music, you know. So we think of folks like Jimmy McGriff and uh, Jimmy Smith, of course. Uh, Groove Holmes was one of the biggies that I first, I ran into him on the, the day after I bought my first organ. Get out. And, uh, yeah, seriously, you know. So there's that approach, to it, you know. Where was that? Well, that was in Kansas City. And the only reason I bought a Hammond was, well, we had just hired a female vocalist and she played Fender Rhodes. And I played Fender Rhodes. So for one night only, we had two Fender Rhodeses up on stage. And, you know, I kind of, well, that's kind of ridiculous, you know, thing. It's, like, it's the Department of Redundancy department.
0: It didn't work like of that. Of
1: Redundancy <laughs> department.
0: It wasn't cool like the Allman Brothers having two drummers?
1: It was, no, no, no. It was like, it was like, like, way nerd. (laughs) Right,
0: right So you went and bought a Hammond organ?
1: So the next day, well the next day actually At first I started out with a Yamaha organ Which was kind of a good instrument You know, but it's It had a lot of bells and whistles and stuff If you hit the wrong button at the wrong time Suddenly you would be in a flock of chirping birds Or, (laughs) you know, a, a different key Whoa And I wound up getting a Hammond organ Because they hadn't really invented anything else yet And no matter how Terribly, I played. It still always sounded like a Hammond B three. You yeah. know what I mean? Oh I, yeah. I was I was learning. I was fresh off of playing, you know, twelve string guitar during the Great Folk Scare of the late sixties when that stuff almost caught on. You're kidding? Seriously.
0: You're a guitar player too.
1: Well, I started out on okay. acoustic guitar and singing folk songs. That's that oh. was my you know that's wow. what I did. How? And uh, so, anyway, so I wound up getting this B three, and no matter, you know, how terribly I sucked <laughs> to use the uh, to use the opera terminology, <laughs> it still sounded like a B three. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Somewhere there is actually a recording of the very first solo that I ever took on a Hammond organ, and I hope it never never surfaces. <laughs> <serves as laughs> I Either that, or I—I I hope to find it. I'll just post it. <laughs> right? Yeah.
0: That's kind of amazing. What? Why is that gig recorded?
1: It, we just happened to be recording that gig that night. Okay. It was, it was kind of like we we're kind of doing a residency at a at a uh, at a place uh, north of Kansas City.
0: Okay.
1: And the band was set up there that I was playing with. Right. And like
0: uh, a pop band, and it
1: was it was a, a blues based band. I pretty much always played in blues based bands. Sometimes, you know, the just blues. Okay. But it was, but we always diverted from it too. That was kind of like sort of like a, a stylistic. A common ground For the material That we would pick And sometimes We would select songs That were distinctly Not blues But we would style it In that way Okay You know We might take Something that just You know At the time It was the It was the 70s And the 80s At the time We selected material Not for whether Or not it would get work for us but because it was cheaper than counseling and medication <laughs> you know yeah. it's just like I gotta <laughs> sing this song because it just reminds me of what happened yesterday you know when you shredded my heart you creep <laughs>
0: <laughs> right and so you were working with people who were fast learners
1: um, actually yeah uh, you know I, I guess you know I guess it, it, it's safe to say I've I pretty much always worked with people that were better than me, you know. So that so the learning curve was was mm-hmm. st- I learned a lot always. You know, mm-hmm. I still do. It's what, Still the case.
0: What a blessing that is. It
1: really is. And I don't take that for granted for a second. That's the people that I've worked with in my life. You know, just still amaze me, and I'm glad to say that for the <laughs> for the ones that haven't passed on. You know, that's why we're getting to that age. I'm getting to that age rather. Uh, for the ones that are still here, man, I, you know, I, they're just some of my dearest friends and, and family, really.
0: Your bandmates. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it is a really tremendous bond, isn't it? To mm. to be in that um, universal connection.
1: Well, you know what a great perspective to experience life from. From, from you know, you would think that, oh. Being in a blues band, well, that's a great career path. Who picked that? I'm sure your mom must have picked that one out for you. Well, no, you know, but so when it comes down to just experiencing what the world has to offer, you know, with a team that you've had a little bit to do with, maybe even assembling, which not everybody gets a chance to do that, you know, um, it's been nothing but extraordinary.
0: That's that sounds that's amazing. Um, Yeah. So okay, let's go back. Um, So. You're, you're in a blues band in Kansas City. How did, what happened before that to precipitate that? How did that happen? How did you come to be a blues musician?
2: I thought
1: you'd never ask. <laughs> <laughs> wow, there's so many answers to that. That, is a, that sounds like such a simple question, and yet, uh, how did I come to blues? Well, yeah. where'd you grow up? Well, I, I grew up in New Jersey, and that's in New Jer- at the time, you know. That was, you know, I'm from the Netherlands. I was born in Amsterdam. My family emigrated to the U S. on the last voyage of the Andrea Doria. What? And then we wound up in New Jersey. Wow. <laughs> Seriously.
2: Wow. And so
1: I was, uh, I, like I was saying, a part of the Great Folk Scare of the late '60s, <clears throat> and I was motivated by just the politics of the day. Really, I was. I was singing about racial inequality and about the Vietnam War and uh, I, I guess it's safe to say that my introduction to the blues was actually reading about it first before I ever even heard it, before I even knew what it was I just remember I stumbled onto the lyrics of a Billie Holiday song called Strange Fruit yeah, which I, is like it's like the darkest song I, I think. am familiar with it Yeah, it's the darkest song ever ever written it's about a lynching and um, it's I mean, it just I still get, you know, kind of bumps on my arms when I just think about that the time first sitting down and reading that Yeah And they're talking about this thing called the blues I'm going, I don't get that Excuse me but eventually, I, you know, so I wound up in Colorado, anyway, to make a, a, a long story just painful.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're cracking me up. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> Which city in Colorado?
1: Well, it wasn't really exactly a city. It was a ghost town called Russell Gulch. And I wound okay. up living on the side of a mountain a thousand feet up from Russell Gulch okay. in this little shack yeah. that I built out of some old mining timber.
0: You've got to be kidding me.
1: Seriously.
0: <laughs> you, I, in just any second, I expect the punchline of this joke.
1: <laughs> well, the punchline. I, mean, it's, I was the Dulcimer builder of Powabic Mountain. I would build Dulcimers and oil them with patchouli oil, What? which made getting through airports really difficult. But uh, <laughs> but it was it was good while it lasted. This is
0: unreal. Oh, my mind is blown.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it sounds it sounds strange to me now. To uh, just as I'm telling the story, that's it sounds. It's like really, Are you, he's making that up, George. <laughs> <laughs> but it was what a great way for a, for a young adult to start out raising themselves up. I mean, I have you know I, I, just yeah, just being literally living on the side of a mountain, Holy just being man. a mountain muffin in the uh, wow. We were on the outskirts of central city, so I would walk into town. and play in some of those those places for tips. Okay. And
0: uh, the dulcimers that you made or guitar, yeah, dulcimers or? and guitar. Okay.
1: And uh and I ran into a film crew from Kansas City and they were doing a documentary on the town of Central City and the, specifically about the Narragage Railroad that was what that was, you know, back from the old mining days that they had restored and was now kind of a sort of a tourist attraction. Okay. Sort of like the the Narragage in Durango and Silverton. And um Yeah, so anyway So the film crew was coming through They heard me And they they asked me to write some, some music For like the theme song For this documentary film About a train About a train so I uh, so I wrote the song and they used it and it's I, I, I need to Google around see if I can find that movie I, yeah I come to think of it yeah and they say you know why don't you come back to Kansas City with us winter's coming in you can't live on top of that mountain and we'll uh, we'll continue doing some more movie stuff and uh, and Kansas City is a very musical town which it most certainly was. And so, uh, and winter was coming in. You know, I, I I couldn't, I couldn't stay on top of that mountain. All the people that had been living there, they were all kind of gone at this point.
0: Okay. Everybody was cleaning out of there.
1: Yeah. It was, the (laughs) summer was over and it was like, it was starting to, it was starting to snow. You know, I kind of moved into town for a little bit. Mm hmm So, uh.
0: I lived in Colorado myself for one summer.
1: Oh, did you? So Whereabouts?
0: It was an Aspen, which okay. sounds like I'm some kind of high flute and something or other, but I was there for a classical music camp. Okay. That I had, I had won something that allowed me enough money to get to attend it. So excellent. Yes, um, the summer is just fabulous there. The stars are unbelievable.
1: Well, it is. You're so close to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew the guy that uh, that owned the music store in Aspen. Oh, I'm, I, wait, I'm sorry, I'm mixing it up with Estes Park. That was it wasn't Aspen.
0: Oh, okay, okay. But anyway, so I similar neighborhood. Okay, I'm thinking about you just having this beautiful. Um, Uh, What's the word I'm thinking of? Pastoral, incredible summer, and now you're going to...
1: That's what it was. That's a perfect description of it. I have pictures of not just building the shack, but the first time... I actually learned to play flute, and there's a picture that I have of, like... There's a meadow on the side of the mountain. You can see it from the road, you know. I live to the right of that meadow, and there's a picture... Of, of me uh, under sitting under a double rainbow in this meadow you know in the mountains oh, my goodness. playing playing the flute <laughs> my first my first song on the flute was uh, was the theme from it was the, the beautiful melodic theme from Sympelius's Finlandia?
3: Yeah, that was
1: uh, uh right, if you're, if you're familiar with that, I am. I was just taken by that melody, and Aww. I thought that was the right thing to play on the flute.
0: Aww, perfect.
1: Somebody had gifted me the flute, so I kind of went there. I was young hippie kid sitting under a double rainbow. <laughs> and I, mean, I love the picture, I should probably blow it up.
0: Yes, is that um, <laughs> da, 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 da,
1: exactly. Da, da, da,
0: very da, good. Da, yeah. Yeah. Yes, sometimes that's used as a hymn also. Oh, yeah. There are um, Christian words put to that.
1: that. That song was was banned for a while in, in in Finland during the occupation because it would it would it would drive people to to riot you really? know, against against the Nazis.
3: Oh, good. That's a
1: good. Thing. They would hear that. Yeah, cuz it's it was like the, the whole it's national. national pride was gotcha. wrapped up. Gotcha. And it's so gorgeous. I mean, it's hard it to is. not get m- emotional about that.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. So, anyway, so I moved to Kansas City, and Kansas City changed everything. I mean, I got there and that that place is so rich with a history of jazz and blues going back to Count Basie and going back to uh, you know, Walter Page and Julia Lee and, you know, some of some of the there's still some leftover Jay McShann, there's some some folks from his band. I ran into some of the old timers and, and then the next generation was in the clubs playing. I would hang out to this older couple, named Betty and Bill Abel, they were playing this unique style of Kansas City jazz. It was very dynamic and had a lot of styles in, included. Kansas City music isn't really about pure forms, it's about a lot of, you know, folks came up from New Orleans, other folks coming from the East Coast when it was wide open, you know, and interesting. Yeah. And I was, I was kind of delayed, you know, the next generation of that. And there's a lot of Hammond organ players in that town, too. You know, so uh, as soon as I bought my very first one, there was a lot of places to get inspiration.
0: What year was that?
1: I moved there about 1971.
0: So your Hammond, was it brand new? So was it a
1: 1971? Oh, no, not even. It was uh, my first Hammond was actually a 19, about a 57 B2.
2: Okay. All right.
1: Went to the tune shop in Prairie Village and picked up the. Uh, it was the first bank loan I ever had. Paid yeah. It, I don't know why the the banker. I guess the banker gave me the loan because his daughter was ba- dating the bass player in the band. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And I, I, did, I paid it off though. I mean I was you know there was no no difficulty.
0: Yes. Yes. Okay, so you're in Kansas City. You're playing with a band. You're listening to all these great blues players. You're um, then. So what
2: happens? Well, you know,
1: it was a great place to get inspired. And during during the, particularly back during the '80s, you know, well, the '70s and '80s and '90s was a great place in Kansas City. Kansas City was a great place to be because you can get inspired. And when I say inspired, I mean like really world-class change, the musical path that you're on inspired. Sometimes just by going down to the local watering hole. Good grief. I remember I used to, yeah, man, I, I, you know, I got a chance to hang out for a couple of weeks with Johnny Guitar Watson when he came through there. And that changed everything for me. I mean, that that, that guy had more music in him than anybody had ever met, you know, and it's... It was uh he was the real thing. He was just transitioning from the blues into what he later became more more known for, which was kind of like sort of the uh, the funk and the and the dance hits. Okay. Another another gal that that just I just loved and went out to uh, listen to all the time was Olita Adams. She she had she would she was. Yeah, had a house gig at, at a, just a small bar that was located in the Crown Center Hotel, just a teeny little little vest pocket-type bar. And she was, she is, as you know, she, I mean, she wound up getting picked up by Tears for Fears, you know, and uh, I mean, they were transcribing her piano solos in Keyboard Player Magazine before she ever even had a solo album out. Right. She was conducting four choirs by the time she was 14 years old.
3: Good grief. I mean,
1: so, yeah, I would just go out there. I was, I was playing an afternoon happy hour gig, and she would come on in the evenings, and I would just hang for the rest of the night and spend all the money I made just listening. You gotcha. Know, it was great.
0: What kind of stuff would she play? Just what's that? What kind of stuff did she play? Did she play? Uh huh. Like, did she do standards?
1: Well, uh, she she did. Uh, you know, as you as you know, and as some of the folks may know, uh, she's kind of known for during the Gulf War. She had that uh, a great song, "Get Here If You Can." I do remember that song. And yeah. uh, uh, the, and what was cool about you know the repertoire that she went up recording was pretty much the same stuff that she was she was doing at the show she'd be doing like you know don't let the sun go down on me or uh, okay. um doing uh, you know it just really gospel infused bluesy R&B versions of of any old thing. It could have been a show tune. It could have been a, you know, it would have been an Elton John song. It would have been, you know, a pop tune. Okay. And sometimes she'd just break down to do, do, do blues. She'd do a gospel tune. She used to do like, I wonder if the lighthouse is gonna shine on me, you know, and the place would just literally, you know, it would be packed and it'd be, the folks would be standing up and yelling it oh, was exciting goodness. it was an exciting time to see some that stuff going on it uh, yeah. informed my musical path no doubt about it
0: wow okay i'll have to definitely look look some of this stuff up see if i can find some some old performances of her
1: oh yeah i wonder if there's some stuff on you well she's got a she's got a great song that uh, one one really good example is it's a live cut with tears for fears and she's doing a song that she wrote for her mom she was a preacher's kid and she wrote this uh, a song for her mom called I Gotta Sing My Song and where she's explaining, you know, it's like the parents didn't approve of the path that she was taking. Yeah. You know, she was, you know, playing, playing in nightclubs with people drinking and doing all that sinning and carrying on. Yeah. So she wrote that song, and the version that she does with Tears for Fear is in front of a huge, you know, like, you know, arena audience. It's just, just imagine her doing that with a little, little tree on a string bass in a, in a little teeny club.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, so well, that was a great influencer. Everett Devan is another Kansas City musician that has like, produced magic more consistently than anybody I've ever, ever met. He was a B3 player's B3 player. And he was not... He wasn't known like Jimmy McGriff or Jimmy Smith because he never, let, never left Kansas City. It was always so hard... It, it was hard for musicians to break out of Kansas City you know, during those days. And now we have we do have some KC musicians that are busting out. Daniel Schnevelin comes to mind. Getting Grammy nominations and uh, Samantha Fish, her sister Amanda. There's some some great talent that we're all getting to know. But for a long time, Kansas City was a great talent pool, but a closed system.
0: Okay, wonder why. It's just um
1: I I have no idea. <laughs> you know, it's, it's probably the main reason I came to Nashville is I kind of wanted to break into a you know like a larger market, and I could not make the connections out of Kansas City.
0: Gotcha. Although the musicianship was, it sounds like the standards were incredibly high.
1: Oh, yeah. They still are. Yeah. You know, the players back in KC are just, that's kind of the bar that, you know, they set the bar for me.
3: Gotcha.
0: How long were you there?
1: Do you know? Oh, geez, probably about 35 years. I was there like 71 to about, I moved here in 95.
0: Okay. Okay. So
1: thing is, I've almost been here longer than I've been anyplace else.
0: I would have said, yeah, I was thinking that's the truth. I mean, I've known you for, I know I've known you since you moved here, or pretty close to yeah. that long, almost that long.
1: I think we we probably first met at the Starlight. You, you came out with with somebody, probably yeah. Andy.
0: Um. Well, so it was actually Kenny Kramer who. Oh, okay. Uh, made that connection for me, I think. Because I was just playing
1: with Kenny Kramer uh, and Sean Murphy, as a matter of fact, uh, just a few days ago.
0: I saw that. I saw the uh, post. I wish I had been there for the the locals' for oh, blues yeah. jam. Yeah, that's a really interesting good that's a great great spot to play blues and meet oh, other blues yeah. musicians in town.
1: It's a great hang, the players that that go out there. Sean Murphy of course, so she's finishing up uh well, I shouldn't say finishing up. She'd been she was she's been on working with Bob Seeger since nineteen seventy four and he's supposedly doing his retirement tour. Yeah. But he keeps adding like another year's <laughs> worth of gigs. <laughs> really? To. I'd do the Good. same thing, man. He's got this happening band. You know, yeah. once once he puts that away it's gonna be hard to get it started back up. So as as yeah. long as everybody knows the tunes, you know, the promoters are still lining up to book it, you know.
0: Yeah. Is she still touring with him? yeah she sings back. With him, okay.
1: She does. She does. Uh, she does the the background vocals, and then in the in the interim, she's uh, um, you know trying to launch a solo project. Really, for the for, you know, she's got like, gosh, I, w- I think it's about four or five solo albums out, and she's been nominated for BMAs, yeah, Most Music Awards, and uh, yeah. just now finishing up a brand new one here in Nashville that I imagine is going to be just killer.
0: I'm sure, yeah. And you she's played been, with her. You were. In I her did.
1: Band. I, I made the first three records with her and toured. Yeah. And she's over at Kevin McKendry's uh, studio right now, wrapping up this one. And Kevin is one of the great keyboard players in Nashville. Yeah. And he's. He works with everybody. He plays it. Plays really well. Yeah. He's got all that style, but he's also got like chops for days too. So yeah. He plays with like folks like Delbert and. Um, Brian Setzer and gosh, he's doing something he's doing something really big time, just lay back What was that? Sorry.
0: No, it's hard it's um this is a great town let's just face it Um, and there's so many people doing amazing things that it's easy to get just completely
1: yeah
2: (laughs) yeah there's
1: some some, fun (laughs) puzzles there is is, there's great stuff going on no doubt about
0: it so when you moved here like so well okay so let's go back before like you're living in Kansas City I looked I looked you up I googled you just to try to get some you know some traction on some kinds of things that I would talk to you about and ask you about so you were in a band called the Kansas City Blues Band is that the name of it
1: I was and in, in certain ways I kind of still am too you know we've we, we've just recently surged in the airplay direct charts which means like airplay suddenly for no out of nowhere we wound up, you know, kind of going up into the like the top ten for a month, and then we kind of like subsided to like about number nineteen in the Airplay Direct charts.
0: Okay. And this is old recordings, or are you still recording with them? Well, it's
1: kind of this, the, the recording that they're that they're playing now is actually what happened is like. We had this band in Kansas City, and it it was uh, it was notable in Kansas. We were sort of Kansas City stars. We were well known, uh, and we've we ran a weekly jam session, and it was very well attended. It was like the Statue of Liberty, really. You what know. day of the week? Uh, it was a Monday night, Blue and, Monday.
0: And okay, and where was it?
1: And it was in 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 the Westport. Area of Kansas City uh, mostly for about ten years, but then there were some other places that we did it too. It started in, in an area called the River Key that later on got blown up during <laughs> during a uh, some disagreements amongst some of the older Italians in town. Whoa! And then, and now it's it's uh, resurfaced again as the River Market part of town, and that originally used to be the River Key. Okay. So we got started there, and then moved to the Westport, which is like another old town, part of Kansas City that turned into the Entertainment District at the time, back in the 80s.
0: I have to ask, did anybody have some gear in that building when it blew up?
1: Oh, well... You know, for the most part, you know, <laughs> we always got calls like the night before. We were always—it's like I think you ought to move your your equipment <laughs> <Really>? this evening. <laughs> oh, you know, and the next wow. day you see a picture of the club and it's scattered thinly over like two acres. You know, wow, okay. So I don't personally know of anybody who lost equipment in it. You Good. know, for the most Good. part, you know, dealing dealing with those folks, you know, the club owners. Well, it was, you know, it was always. They treated musicians quite honorably, really. Paid in cash, always stuck to their word, and uh, warned us when they were going to have a natural gas explosion. (laughs) Sweet. (laughs) Yeah, you know, what more can you ask out of, you know... I
0: can't think of a thing. (laughs) ...a
1: music scene.
0: (laughs) So you're doing a weekly blues jam with this band and hosting I guess? Yes. So then lots of people are coming. You're kind of a hub, and they're wanting to... You're getting to meet everybody that... Plays blues, mm.
1: basically. Absolutely, you know both. in You know the, you know our friends. You know in town and folks that would come in from out of town too. Okay. I remember one time I went. We were playing playing the jam, and we're doing in the middle of a blues. And all of a sudden, he got to be really bluesy, totally bluesy sounding in a whole new way. And I <laughs> look behind me, you know, and it's. Uh, A.C. Reed, Jimmy Reed's brother uh, brother in law, is playing saxophone, and Charlie Musselwhite is on, on harmonica. Whoa. You know, kind of going, "Whoa!" Well, you know, testify. <laughs> <laughs> so stuff like that happened like all the time. Oh my goodness! Yeah. And uh, yeah, again, there was such great such great talent in not I sh- shouldn't say was because it's still there, but. Uh, and uh, the the accent would come through, you know. I have just got off the road for, for being a couple of years with uh, Anson Funderberg and that's where I first ran into him. He would play Kansas City a lot. Of course, he played everywhere a lot too. I he was he's the sort of the quintessential blues road dog. That's why when you travel with Anson, everywhere you go, everyone knows him and they love him for all the right reasons too. He's he's a great musician, but he's also really a, just a lovable person.
0: I think your Google mentioned like an un- unbelievable amount of musicians that you have worked with or have known, and I was just kind of I was kind of floored looking at the list. I think Muddy Waters was on the list.
1: Well, I I I, I was on the bill with him. I never actually played with him. Okay. I can't say that.
0: But you met him and that's
1: oh I did. Hang
0: with him and
1: Muddy. We we went had, had uh, we had done two shows with Muddy. And then we had a third one booked, and that one got canceled because not only had he passed away, but our uh, saxophone player was killed, you know, it was, it was just, it was a double tragedy. It was, but I, I'll never forget the time though. I, we, we were playing at uh, it's an old theater where the gig was. And we had been, we were walking down the stairs, you know, backstage, and we passed by the dressing room that Muddy was using. And uh, the light was off, and he was sitting by the window. And this was, wasn't long before he passed away. And I love this story, man. Uh, and he was sitting, and he was looking out. Of the window with Venetian blinds, and the mercury vapor lights were coming in, kind of like, kind of shining on him. And you're just look, looking out, and he looked so tired. You know, he he he, he kind of almost looked like, you know, it was kind of coming to an end. He was just, just again because of the blues resurgence at the time, he was able to kind of tour a little bit more. Yeah, um, and you know, kind of make a little bit of money. You know, but uh, but he was tired. You know, he was, he was he was getting up there in age. So we walked in. We were like very reverential, man. We kind of knocked on the door. Can we come in just for a second? And he invited us in. He said, "Sure, come on in." So we were just asking him questions about stuff. And at one point, the drummer Mike O'Neill, who is your host at the beautiful Serenity Hills Studios right here in Nashville, <laughs> uh, he he talks to Muddy, He goes like, "Well, you know." What is it what does it feel like to you? It's like you, you kinda invented this thing, this the the, the the trio, the power trio that turned into rock and roll, you invented that distorted guitar sound. You know, it's like you're kind of like one of the architects that the inventors of rock and roll, with some others, you Big Joe Turner and some of the other people that contributed. But Muddy is right at the at the start of that whole thing. And yet you know, here you are, kind of touring just so you know, kind of make up some money. Never, never really got anything out of it. Maybe got, maybe got to pay some bills. You know, <laughs> what does it feel like when you see this whole thing that's worldwide? You know, and uh, at that point, M- M- Muddy's face—he had that big round face—and it just, it just got full of life again. It just, it, it, he just smiled so big. And I remember he, he goes, "I got many sons all over the world." So he was very, very pleased to see, you know, what had happened. Whereas sometimes you talk to, you talk to like other, other guys like Albert King and they're just mad,
3: Mm
1: -hmm. you know? Yeah. But, uh, Muddy, I got some men and sons all over the world. Right. So that, I I thought that spoke about his character. He was, he was was proud to have been, you know, the guy to pass it on.
0: Yes. I don't want to like break. Chronological order here, but um, I was listening to your Break away. <laughs> here we go, um, Andy e. T and Nick Nixon Band. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was listening to one of the you guys recordings on the way over here. Um, was it was it called Living It Up?
1: Yeah, living it up is a, it up. is the name of the album. Twenty fourteen. Although the name of the, the the name of the song is actually it's a Gary Nicholson tune called "Living It Down." Oh, okay. She's living it up, and I'm I'm trying to live it down. <laughs>
0: that song is hilarious. It
1: is. It's a great <laughs> tune. The
0: words were just incredible. So funny.
1: Oh, it is. Gary Gary is one of the great Nashville songwriters, man. Yes. Uh, not only is he deep, but he's he's got that that cleverness with words that yes. just makes it. A delight to listen to
0: And it, I just was Visualizing people I know You know That are in that situation Oh
1: yeah
0: <laughs> It was Anyway you, Everybody needs to go Listen to this tune You know It's, it's on Apple Music You can find it It's under NDT And Nick Nixon Band um, So The The I was listening, you know, and, I, and you think like the blues, you know. Oh no! But I was so happy listening to that recording. Every song, I'm just like, it's, I'm, I can feel my mood being actually lifted
2: oh, while
1: neat. I'm
0: listening to this. Recording. Well, you know
1: that that's uh, that's also you, you can't discount the gift. You know that, Nick Nixon had and gave to us too. I'm I'm still so. This this is actually kind of like a, a day away from the anniversary of his. It's it's birth. Yesterday was his birthday. Well, no, it was a couple of days ago. But right around now is his birthday, and about a week or so ago was sort of the anniversary of when he passed away and uh Nick was just an extraordinary person as well as just a great singer. He was trained, but he had that just natural conversational rich burnished baritone with all the gospel influences, yeah, and yet with training too he was he 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 was a he was a study you know, a, a studied vocalist as well. Okay. And he he always used to say, and I, I understand that because I was an opera major when I was in in college.
3: What? I was.
1: <laughs> what? And I, I know what he. <laughs> and I used to he used to say the same thing. The the hardest thing he ever had to learn was how to unlearn the stuff that he learned from, because nobody wants to hear somebody go, well, they call it stormy monday. <laughs> la 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 la, la. <laughs> By the way, is that clock ticking? Is that is that like a drag for for, for...
0: Um, you know, I hadn't even thought about it. Uh, I don't know if we can hear the clock ticking or not. There's a really lovely clock hanging you, on the there's wall. There.
1: Here. There's a pendulum clock. It's old school, <laughs> it's not digital. That's the real thing. But I can actually make that pendulum stop if
0: it. <laughs> well, I hate for you to lose your time, you okay. know. This is uh,
1: me stopping the pendulum, folks. <laughs>
0: so you played with that band for how many years and it was how about, did you
1: well it's about seven years When basically we started the band you know it's been my oh, the clock's still ticking <laughs> it's been my experience that a band usually doesn't do more than what it's designed to do right but that was a, a case where I was kind of proven wrong if I'm drifting away people it's because I'm stopping the clock there
0: <laughs> so the band was designed to
1: but just... what, you know what we were designed to do was basically to to um, to be a part of focusing this new Blues Society that Kathy Balmer and Andy Talamantez were starting up. And the goal of that particular Blues Society, the other one had had become defunct, and it wasn't really functioning. It was still existed on paper, and I think there was a jam session go- that might have been going on. And that was a great society, too, but... It wound up not being staffed as what happens sometimes with Blue Societies so and what eventually happened with the next one, too. Um, <clears throat> so we had started up this jam, and the intent was to specifically try to, you know, to get the Blue Society happening for all the obvious reasons, but also to be a bridge between two musical communities that were not combining. Uh, and that is, like, some of the older... Black blues musicians And R&B folks Mm -hmm. You know People that were uh, That were still around That had Had all this musicality And all this experience You know Um Uh and it, it wound up working. We wound up doing the, the jams. We started out at the Jefferson, Jefferson Street Showcase and then eventually moved over to Carol Ann's, And it included a lot of people, and it was great. And the the band was the, the rhythm section, the host for the jam sessions. And somehow it wound up, you know, through, well, mostly through connections and hard work. You know, on Andy and Kathy's part, it wound up being a signed act. We uh, signed on with Delta Groove out of LA and next thing you know, we're touring all over the country. Wow. You know? Next thing you know we're you know, we're we're hoisting up a glass of Chateau Neuf du pape <laughs> at a sidewalk cafe in Paris, you know, and uh you know, or playing, playing at a festival in New Jersey. You know, it's like from from New Jersey to California to the Redwoods to Calgary to Florida. I mean, Incredible. We, we we covered thousands of miles
0: over a seven-year period. Yeah,
1: and all of that from just starting up a little group that we just wanted to host a jam session with.
0: Good grief! So, so chemistry was found.
1: Chemistry was most certainly found, and the, and the music was good. We stuck, we stuck to traditional blues, which a lot of folks were drifting from because they thought, you know, folks sometimes think that... And, and maybe they're right, I don't know. Um, uh, they think that it need, it, it, the blues need, needs to be improved on to make it saleable. Mm-hmm. So the, either they'll turn it into rock and roll, or they'll turn it into a number of different things. And we kind of stuck with the traditional blues thing, and that's, it, it worked for us. Particularly... With a singer like Nick Nixon, too, you know? Yes. Not just his voice, but also just, people just liked him. He was just a, a, a beautiful guy.
0: Yeah. I read that he worked for National Parks and Recreation. He or, did. For years, many, many, many years. Um,
1: he did, he was uh, notable for the Blues in Schools thing that, uh, that he worked with Shannon DeBayou, and they, uh, they were awarded a Keeping the Blues Alive BMA you know, for uh, for the work that they did in the schools, and that was that was before the band ever came on the scene. But I'll tell you, you know, from my perspective now, I'm just thankful that I had a chance to be in on the last part of his career. You know, at yeah. the at, at the end, and he was such a trooper, man. I mean, he was he was kind of ill in ways that nobody knew about, even the doctors. Wow. You know, but we were able to introduce him to really the rest of the world and not and not keep him just as a well-kept nashville secret yeah so everybody got a chance to you know hear him and he's known now you know in they know they know him in, in california they know him in in uh, in uh basel switzerland you know they know him around the country it's the records. And that stuff.
0: sounds very great so yeah
1: I'm, I'm just i'm very grateful to have been in on it man it was it was good music and uh, great adventures
0: Uh, The traveling, you mean?
1: The travel... When I think of traveling with Nick, I think, you know, Andy had a 1952 Greyhound bus... That we traveled in, What? <laughs> it, and it was seriously, and it was like sometimes it didn't always make it up the mountain. Sometimes we we had to get out of the bus so that you know, so we could it, it could actually make it up the mountain. But inside it was really <laughs> comfortable. It was set up as a nice lounge area. We had, you know, we had two lounges, one in the back, you know, and some bunks, and uh, and Nick had his his own captain's chair, and he would sit in. And he'd he, we'd be traveling through the through the prairie, and he'd be humming an old gospel tune you know and we'd start singing harmonies and oh my that's goodness. I think about those times more than any on, on the bus just because I remember the first time he did it just how that is so perfect Oh, you know we sing soon or very soon we're going to see the Kang
0: yeah, I know that song do you oh
1: yeah uh, who's it, Albert Hunter I think
0: uh, I'm not sure who wrote that um that's hallelujah, a, Hallelujah.
1: Yeah, Hallelujah. We're king. going to see the King. That's a great song. It is. I, I, I used to listen to Olita doing that in Kansas City.
0: All right. So that so. Go, it's really like that's that's an example right there of gospel you know bleeding into blues and and that you talk about the hybridization and all but you know a minute ago you said something about it being just pure blues that that you went you just, you just decided to go pretty much pure blues with this in this band right with Nick and Andy um what is how can you tell us something is that what's well, what are the things that make it that?
1: well that's a really a good question too because diff- it's 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 a good question because there's probably you know, uh, several different answers. There, there, there's some folks that have a pretty small box that that stuff resides in, and some. Uh, my definition tends to be. A, a, you know, I, I, I think of it as being a fairly large box. There's a lot of things that can be described as as blues, and, but it's also kind of it's a subtle definition because it's you can get into a rock and roll aspect of the blues in ways that. Stick very much to the to the style of the blues, and then some other ways where you totally, you know, depart for for something else. So, uh, uh, you know, how do you define it? You know, obviously, there's technical, you know, there's a technical definition. There's a certain kind of a scale, right? You know, the the Mixolydian mode, the flatted seventh, and maybe the flatted third, right? And um, there's a certain kind of a um, there's a certain feeling of conversation that goes on with blues. I, I think of blues as being a language that musicians speak. And regardless of if they're, really, if they're really dug in to the genre, if they're really blues musicians or not, it's still this language that music musicians speak with each other so that you can get up on stage and play a song without necessarily having to cough up a musical hairball that you learned because that's what the gig was paying you to do. You know, you can you you can <laughs> run into some folks that you've never met before. You go, first of all, what's the subject we want to discuss? We want to talk about the last time you busted my heart, little darling. So, and what kind of a groove do we have? You know, well, let's do something kind of like like a sort of like a swing and shuffle. You know, kind of medium tempo. You know. Do we want that to be uptown or downtown? You know, downtown means kind of like do-do, 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 do-do. Uptown is more do do da da da.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: And then, uh, and then somebody goes one, two, three, four, and everybody plays. And, <laughs> and folks that don't play sometimes, they go, how'd y'all do that, you know? Yeah. So it's, 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 it's a conversation, you know? Right. And, and if, it's, uh, if you're sitting down, and there's also melody blueses, though, too, that are tightly arranged. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's that's just one of the characteristics, and it's mutable, too. Right.
0: Okay. So did you help make the arrangements for the tunes? Did the band get together and rehearse and come up with each... Was there somebody dictating all that, or well,
1: you know, generally speaking, it was like it's like with 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 most bands or or a lot of bands with with this kind of thing. It's like we figure out what repertoire needed to be done. Usually, we would actually learn the tunes when we were recording them for the for an album. Okay, you know, and uh, and then we would just kind of you know take it from there. So the really the heavy lifting with the arrangements would usually go down in this in the studio with the stuff that that we did as far as and we mostly did originals. Gotcha. Too. We didn't do a lot of covers, and the covers that we did do, we, uh, you know, we did, you know, sort of in the style of, you know, for example, we did a T Bone Walker song. We would kind of like do that, you know, T Bone, T Bone's kind of version of it. We didn't depart radically from it.
0: Gotcha. There's a tune on the record I listen to, One Note Shuffle. Oh yeah. You have a really distinctive, or I think you have a really. A, a a really cool solo on that tune.
2: Oh, thank you.
1: Yeah, that's I mean, uh, that's one of my my originals. As a matter of fact, it's a, it's an organ trio thing. Really? It's the one I was telling you about a little bit earlier too. Oh, okay. I don't know if we're we're set up to play it, but I can uh, I can play it for you, or we can we can we can dub it in paste, later.
0: <laughs> paste it in there, yeah.
1: But uh, yeah, you know, I actually it was weird the way that one got written. I was messing around with a, a program called Reason. I don't know if you've ever used that. Yes. It was a popular, I think the Scandinavian, some, somebody in Sweden came up with that. And it was a great little program for a while until they ruined it. You know, They did actually totally ruin it, but it became unusable. I couldn't figure out how to use it after they did an upgrade. Man. But while it was still happening, I, I was uh, challenged for some reason. To see if I could program a co- good, convincing double shuffle into it. You know, I wasn't sure if I could do it. I'd been doing some, some programming with drums. So I tried to do it. And I came up with, I thought it was a pretty good little drum sound, doing like... You know, just doing a little double shuffle thing. Mm-hmm. So I went, oh, I like that. Let's just do a little 12-bar behind. I was just kind of messing around. And I didn't have time or the inclination to come up with a really fancy melody. On it, so we're shuffling through twelve-bar 12 changes, and I kind of went, "Well, I'll just play whatever comes to mind." And I wound up just doing, do We're shuffling, "Do do do." And I go, "Do do 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 Then I go to the four chord, I had a few extra notes, but hey, yeah. So anyway, so that that's the way it, it wound up doing, it. and I I kind of did that little that little version of it and I played it once I for Anson and who was producing the album They, I, I think it was on the Numbers Man album that was on Blind Pig okay and uh, he said, "Why don't we? Why don't we just do that? Like, why don't you even play left-hand bass on it? We'd, we'd actually track a bass player on it with uh, Sammy Persons Did a great bass bass line on it. But uh, Hanson thought it would be, you know, cooler just to do more like an old-school organ you know, organ trio sound to it. So I did. So I went up playing playing bass on it. Of course, Dana Robbins, you know, who's yeah, you know, the great saxophone player, great saxophone player with Delbert and uh, and." formerly with Aretha too she played the sax on it Andy played the guitar Jim Klingler played the drums, okay. and my left, featuring my left hand. It sounds like another person, you know.
0: <laughs> do you do tapping on pedals, um, or do you just?
1: At this particular that... organ in this studio, they didn't have the pedals set up, so All I right. didn't. Uh, I certainly have done it in the past. Yeah. And my chops are certainly down too, you know. There's a studio here in town. Once again, fabulous Serenity Hill Studio, right <laughs> here, located a minutes away from downtown in Donaldson. Uh, I've actually got my pedals set up with. With Mike O'Neill's organ okay. over there, so it's 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 possible to do that for that recording. It, the the, uh, the the pedals weren't available for it.
0: Gotcha, gotcha.
1: Honestly, the last time I used the pedals was at the Starlight because I was the, the stage was big enough where I could put my keyboards in an L and set those up. Yeah. And even though with the, Dennis Gully was the bass player in that particular band, who now has a great new project with the great Johnny Neal. As a matter of fact Called Rattlebone Yeah uh, Even though Dennis Was playing bass I'd like to have Those pedals set up Sometimes for just If I was doing Like a big hairy intro Or something Or, or there's an excuse To have like a, a Magic you know Moment just blasting Out some you know Gospel organ Yes Which I'd look For opportunities to do
0: <laughs> Absolutely I remember you doing that there. Oh okay yeah.
1: <laughs> Those are, a, you know, that, there, that was, that was a, an interesting gig. Some, some amazing stuff happened out there. Yeah. Some of which can't be discussed on a family show. <laughs> some of which was cool. I remember the, the guys in Rascal Flats uh, would, would come out. This is when they're still all, all working with Michael English. They would come out, and uh, Jay, the bass player, is also a great piano player, and we would we would wind up jamming on country tunes, but turn them into gospel songs. He played piano, and I played the organ. So that's what's so cool about setting the keyboards up in an L. If you've got yeah. a stage that's big enough and band members that are accommodating enough, you know, where yes. they don't go. You're taking. You're in my area. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I put my fan.
0: <laughs> right. Well, you know, if they can't appreciate a, Hamm- a true Hammond organ sitting on stage. I, I, you know, well, yeah, my yeah. heart goes
1: out to you. Uh, you know, I, I really. <laughs> I, and most do. I, I've never really run into any difficulty with that, you know. Yeah. Sometimes the stage is just too small, and you, you, right. you got to be realistic. So I'm pretty yeah. much accustomed to putting the piano on top of the B3.
0: Right, right. Do you stand when you have to do that kind of situation? You know, I
1: kind of got to, really. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why you can't set set up the pedals in, in that particular way, though, because standing on the pedals while playing the <laughs> piano is just like... It's like you're doing the flamingo while you're...
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: Balancing on one foot on the pedals while you're kind of like trying to reach the sustain. And, right. Or the swell pedal. <laughs> right.
0: It would be you pretty know, crazy. People
1: have gone to the emergency room for that kind of, <laughs> that kind of playing.
0: Exactly. Um, wow. You know, you're just... You're kind of like... Blowing my mind in many directions. Oh. So uh, you're <laughs> you're an opera singer.
1: I was.
0: So, I, I saw that you. Okay, so you studied at Hart School of Music, yes. basically. And but you, did you know Aaron Copeland?
1: I didn't know him, but I, I, oddly enough, I had a chance to do be on stage <laughs> with him performing. How
0: crazy is that? Uh,
1: it was. It, it's just it, uh, yet again another life experience that I look back on now, and I go, what? But you know, I was I was in the I was in the chorus. I actually, at the time, I was actually an art major for my first. You know, I was in the art school at the University of Hartford. Get out of here! And I wound up cutting classes <laughs> from the art art school, so that I could go over to this this music school. It was fantastic, and uh, I joined up with the chorus, not even thinking about that we would be doing a show. And initially, actually, we just did some some concerts. So uh, we wound up doing some material where the chorus was conducted by Aaron Copeland. And in the orchestra, we had Isaac Stern and Leonard Rhodes. What? You know, I mean, it just, it was, it's just stupid now that I think about it. It But I also got it at the time, though, too. It was an extraordinary experience, and I, I took it in. Yeah. but then we also started doing opera performances and the soloists were from the Metropolitan and the New York City Opera too and they were fantastic the director was one of the foremost opera directors in the world, a Hungarian by the name of Elmer Nagy and the first one I was in was Medea you know, Carab- by Carabini. Oh, goodness. And it's really intense. I mean, she's like burning down the temples and, and killing her kids. And we, we <laughs> I, I was one of the villagers, and we're singing, and we are like in tears. Our makeup is like totally running.
2: Oh, goodness.
1: <laughs> you know? So it, they were not just, you know, it wasn't just a musical education, but it was also very, we we're engaged, you know. We were just an emotional bunch, what can I say?
0: <laughs> so you had a voice. Was, that, was your voice nurtured as a, as a boy growing up? Or did you sing? I mean, how did you start playing piano? I haven't even asked you any of this stuff. Like, did, did people play in your well, home? Well,
1: my dad played the piano, and he played the guitar, and he was an artist, and he was a singer. Okay. But at the time that he grew up in Holland, pursuing any of those professionally, it was not just a terrible career path. There was also a social stigma against it, being an artist, you know? It was bohemian. It was, it was not. I mean, his parents said no. Said not (laughs) only no, but what were you thinking of? You're going to law school, period. I mean, there there was no discussion at that time. Oh wow. So he he went up going into law, you know, and he wasn't a lawyer specifically, but he used that education. He was actually in the shipping. Industry, and eventually we moved to the United States. As I said, on the aforementioned ill-fated Andrea Doria, and we wound up on what they would call a gentleman's farm, as a goat farm, in on the East Coast, and uh, out in outside of North Branch, New Jersey. Okay. North Branch is one of those little towns that hasn't changed for 150 years. Yeah. George Washington slept everywhere, <laughs> <laughs>
3: right? <laughs>
1: and uh, <laughs> and you know, I mean, just growing up with music like that, he'd come home when we'd all gather around the piano, we'd sing. You know, it's okay. like yeah, that's okay. we would do that. And and, and if we weren't singing, we we're watching Ed Sullivan show if and uh, if Victor Borgo would come on.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the comedian. Yeah. Pianist, comedian.
1: So I, I just thought, I assumed that that's, everybody could do that, you know? Okay. And I, I mean, I, I didn't even think about whether or not I wanted to do it. I would just sit down and play the piano.
0: Okay. By know? ear. just coming up with stuff?
1: What, what's that? By
0: ear, basically. Play, oh, playing by ear. Did, or did oh, you have oh, formal yeah. lessons? Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, it's totally by ear. I, I did take lessons, you know, and it would really... My, my, my teacher, she didn't really... She didn't really know this at the time, but I, she would have me, you know, you know, learn something. You know, I go, "Why don't you just play that through one time for me?" Gotcha. You know. And then she would play it, and I would, "Oh, okay, sure." You know, and I pretend to read it off the music. So, yeah. I was terrible at reading music, you know, but I had a great ear too, you know. Yeah. Obviously. I should I should also actually throw this in because I think it's kind of fun. My first piano teacher. Her name uh, her name was Evelyn Oh gosh Don't tell me I'm having a brain fart Excuse me I use the F word <laughs> Evelyn Oh, Evelyn Adams I'm sorry She was from Kentucky And that was That was made her a rare bird In the state of New Jersey cause she, would, would, she would Yeah, she would see Our little baby goats And she would say, say stuff like Well, ain't he cunning <laughs> <laughs> you know and i would kind of go yo like what does like color mean <laughs> like <laughs> lol wtf <laughs>
3: I didn't say that really,
1: but her, her claim to fame was, uh, other than being a really fabulous lady and a great piano teacher, you know, and, and a, just yeah, she was wonderful. But she was also the granddaughter of the of the guy that invented the Thompson submachine gun the Tommy gun, as what? it were. So on her she lived in this this old house that was like built like in the seventeen hundreds. It was gorgeous, you know. And I just remember on her her mantle, she had like a silver and ebony sculpture of a of a Tommy gun <laughs> that had been given to her granddad, you know, by the US government. <laughs> you know?
0: Most piano teachers have a nice um, bust of Beethoven or Bach. Yeah. <laughs> but
1: she had a Thompson Machine gun, but hey, it was in silver and ebony, though, so it's still pretty classic, too.
0: Hilarious, you
1: know. It was, it was definitely a desirable tchotchke. I don't know where it is now, you know. But wow, if it showed up on Antiques Roadshow, people would be going, Oh, yeah, man, <laughs> right? <laughs>
0: right. So, you're running down to her house a week or every week or something like that. Yeah, she that. was or
1: like over in Morristown. A, a few I, years. I, was, I was in North Branch, and, okay. Uh, we would go over to, to her house there and you know, sometimes she'd stop by the house, too, and check out the baby goats and okay. say, ain't they cunning? <laughs>
0: <laughs> but no bands in high school, really? I had, a folk,
1: I had a folk band.
0: Okay, and you told me before I started playing the, the um, recording this that you moved to Nashville actually to be a songwriter. I did. That's crazy! Wow. Is there anything that you can't do? Do you speak <laughs> another language?
1: I used to. Actually, French was my first language, so so English okay. is my other language. All
3: right. Okay. I,
1: I, I even though I was born in the Netherlands, but when I was a year old, we moved to Geneva, which is kind of like in one of the French speaking cantons of that of that country. Okay. So Your and parents, I still
0: they spoke French too.
1: They did. That's where they they spoke French. It wasn't in it, Geneva is more French than it is the German part. And there's another part that's I think. Like Italian or Spanish, I think. Okay. Three different, almost Switzerland, it's kind of like, it's real diverse that way. Certain cantons are, you know, are, are they speak different languages. Yeah. But so French was really the first one that I, I spoke. And when we finally moved to the U.S., I kind of spoke a combination. My dad spoke like seven different languages fluently and about three additional ones, sort of.
0: Good grief.
1: And when we got to the U.S., I spoke like a combination at the house before I went to kindergarten. I spoke like a combination of, like, French, a little bit of Dutch, more German, you know, and then a few little, you know, Italian words here and there and some English, a lot of English. Wow. And then once I once I got to kindergarten, I remember, you know, thinking, <laughs> I am just really confusing these kids here. I really need to stick to, <laughs> stick to one thing, you know.
0: I should have grabbed onto that.
1: Oh, I, I've got some some really clear memories of totally not, you know, they're going like, you know, it's like, what?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, wow. That's, that, see, you're blowing my mind again, just over and over and Oh, over.
1: neat. Well, I, I, I'm glad you think that this is interesting. Uh, hopefully that some folks <laughs> out there, got, <laughs> hopefully you people out there aren't going...
0: <laughs> so you're playing guitar and you're you're writing folk music basically, and you try well, not to sing
1: opera. Well, no, when, when I really started writing. I mean, I started writing back in the Colorado days, and those were written on guitar. But okay. when I really really got started writing, um, it was in Kansas City, and I did it with a, a, a dear friend of mine by the name of Tom Thornell. And what we did is like every Monday night. We, regular clockwork and it's necessary for me because for me writing is difficult I, if I'd rather not write you know so for me I had to make an artist appointment with myself and with Tom so every seven o'clock was like writing and there's some days where we might only write a couple of lines but then there's some days where we like finish three songs out too he was real good with like really fleshing out words, and I was real good with the music part and with with rewrites and details. Okay. So we wrote like geez, about twenty five songs in a pretty short period of time. And there's also a dear friend by the name of Lisa Sato who was a part part of that. And um, we started inviting some guests over to you know to kind of like you know just kind of do some uh, do some sitting in on on a, on a writing session. So eventually, I got. Uh, I wound up coming to Nashville to um, just to kind of check it out to see if I wanted to move, and I got set up for a writing uh, some writing appointments with Ronnie Dunn and with Steve Earle, and uh, Leroy Pornell. We didn't, we never got together and wrote, but we had a chance to kind of just meet and kind of, you know, kind of talk. And that that initial, you know, introduction to Nashville was so positive. I kind of went, oh yes, you know, I pictured sort of like a fast track so I pretty much got rid of everything got rid of my piano got rid of the, a, a three story house worth of stuff that I'd collected for ten years moved to Nashville and as soon as I did two weeks later the money guy dropped out of the publishing company and it was back to scrambling for gigs which uh. I've been doing pretty much ever since <laughs> <You> know, <so.
0: laughs> oh wow
1: so there, there you have it wow I've written a little bit since then but I, honestly I've been mostly more playing yeah you know, just just to keep the bills paid, really.
0: Um, who are your favorite piano players?
1: Wow! Who are
0: your favorite organists?
1: You know, one of the one of my one of my favorite piano players is a guy that just returned or moved back here to Nashville, by the name of AJ Croce. His dad is Jim Croce. Yeah. You okay. know, the great songwriter. Yeah. And AJ is i had been listening to his music. Uh, well, really, for, for a few years. In fact, his drummer was from Kansas City. And then I wound up uh, doing a show at uh, over at the City Winery that was a uh, tribute to Alan Toussaint after he passed away. And I had the chance to be on this bill with backing up a whole bunch of different stars. And A.J. was playing the piano, and I was playing organ. How
3: weird is that? And it was that? just
1: a great, it was a cool thing. I, I love the way he plays. He's virtuosic in a way that folks don't even know, really. And he's just very deep. As far as organists are concerned, I'll always have this soft spot for Groove Holmes. Richard Groove Holmes.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: I met him, like I say that it, 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 earlier. Um, met him the day after I bought my first Hammond, and I didn't know you could do that with a Hammond. I only got one because they hadn't invented anything. I thought I'd just play some chords, and do a pageant wave and smile, <laughs> and then all of a sudden here's Groove going, but you just like unspeakable. And I went, oh, I get it. God.
0: And so he, you met him the day after. Uh, was at his gig? You heard him playing? Yeah, it? it was
1: at his gig. And In Kansas he, City. And, yeah, and he had a residency there. for. He was there the, the, at that time. We, we did like one and two week gigs. It wasn't just one-nighters. Okay. So he was at a place called the Off-Broadway. Okay. And he was there for, you know, it, what what they would do at that particular. The same place I had met Johnny Guitar Watson and some some other folks that played. the Charles Erland and uh, Junie Morrison. And uh, they would play the small bar downstairs, and then they would move up to the big showroom upstairs, which was like a circle, a theater-in-the-round kind of a setting. Meanwhile, during the week, the band I was working with in KC, we used the upstairs as a rehearsal hall for some shows that we had coming up. And then when the artists would come up from the smaller bar downstairs on the weekends, then they would play through our... PA system so I have some great live recordings of some great artists too I mean some of the best stuff I've ever heard by them too
0: Wow so you just like everywhere you're going in your life it's it's striking me that you're exposed to great music oh over yeah. and over and over that is a pattern in your life it, re- it, seems it like.
1: really is it's just it's, it's it everywhere amazes we- <laughs> me I mean just really yeah just you know, when I, when I think of, like, you know, some of the musical heroes that I've had a chance to just be in the same room with, you know, not necessarily. I mean, some in some cases, I've had a chance to work with them, mm-hmm. you know, like we we're talking about Aaron Copeland, you know. But uh, in some cases, just being on the bill. We were, we were on the bill with B.B. King uh, one time at the uh, Municipal Auditorium in Lafayette. And uh, we didn't play with him. Obviously, he has his whole orchestra. But it was a great... Uh, a great event because I remember after we'd finished our show and the audience was so kind I mean usually you know with the warm up act that you haven't heard of it's like it's like alright we love what you're going for now just move it so we can hear Bebe you know they weren't like that man they were so so into what we were doing it was it was it was really a, a cool thing so eventually we finished our show we got off stage and Bebe comes up and his band is set to go and on the very first note the kick drum goes through the drum head and the show screeches to a halt. You know? <laughs> well, we still had our stuff in the wings yeah. you know, of the of the stage. Yeah. So we hustled the drum set up there. Yeah. You know, and got we just got it up there like like immediately in about like you know about a minute. You know? I bet. And then the show took off again. You know. So after afterwards, because of that, I mean, BB is like one of the nicest people anybody would have ever met. I mean, he's 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 famous for for being you know such a gentleman, but in addition to that, you know, we just, we had a you know kind of like a sort of like a little bond behind that too. So we hung out for for you know for quite a bit backstage and just had a great time visiting and he would have his manager come over and take a picture of him with us on his camera <laughs> which, which gave me you know a real thrill too I'm sure so stuff like that it's like it's like. no I'm not playing with BB, but on the other hand I had a chance to just watch him from the wings and watch him twist the neck off that guitar and uh yeah. and uh just do that so, Some of the greats You know Muddy Waters And John Lee Hooker The grandfathers That I always thought Would always be there You know And of course they're not
0: Yeah hmm. So You could have picked Opera You could have picked There was So But you've pretty much Settled into blues That's Is that Would you say That's the love Of your musical life Or You know
1: I, I, I On one hand On one hand I love all music. I, I, I kind of figure if you're telling the truth, you know, I'm going to love it. You know, uh, these days, the, in the, as the years go by, I, you know, my tastes get more diverse. You know, I, I, I like listening to different kinds of ethnic music now. And I understand it in a way that I didn't have time to pay attention to in my younger years. Right. You know? I started off really closed minded. And every year that would go by, it would open up a little bit more. You know, gotcha. I remember, like in 1980, it was like if it wasn't Ray Charles or Aretha, it sucked. You know, and now you know it's like if you're telling me the truth, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like it. I'm gonna get something out of it. Yes, there's certainly some 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 forms of music that don't don't really reflect my life in, uh, as well as others. You know, a real musicians uh, music that's done by and for people that are really angry, for example, doesn't really you know. So, so some of that stuff is doesn't really find a real, real fertile ground with me. You know, because I'm I'm not that frustrated anymore. You know, I mean I'm right. What am I saying? I'm totally frustrated, you know, with everything. I mean, these are dark times we're living in, people. You know, right? But, but I don't, I don't express it in way in in, in ways that are quite that aggressive. You know, I, I actually mm-hmm. appreciate pastel shades a little bit more. Yeah. It used to be, if I wasn't setting my hair on fire, jumping up and down, and working up a sweat by the first chorus of the first song in the first set, then <laughs> I figured I wasn't doing my job. Now I kind of like to stay dry and, and, it's like, <laughs> and simply be cool, baby.
0: <laughs> what was your very first gig? Do you remember? Very first Went time. In church. Ever... Oh, playing for church. Services?
1: Yeah, I'd started out in church. Protestant church. It, it was a, a Nor- it was a reformed Dutch reformed. These were my people. Right. There right. wasn't really much of a spiritual path involved, but, but they were lovely people. Yeah. And they gave me my first concert. You know, I had my little folk band played. We had our little concert night, and I just got a recording of that concert. What? I did. That's crazy. I know. I mean, it was what? a group called Morning Train, and everybody was singers. We were, we were kids in high school. They were all, all state singers, and uh, Joanie played string, bass, and oboe. Shelly Shelley Stillwell sang and played the piano at school for all the functions. I don't know if... I still don't know if she ever got paid, but she should have, because she played for all the rehearsals, for choruses, for all the singing groups, for all the events that happened, and she would sight-read, like, I mean, you could just put, like... You know, just like a Jackson Pollock painting in front of
0: her, <laughs> and she would like play it. You know? Right?
1: Yeah, just, it's amazing. So she was in the group, and we were, when you when I listen to the recording, it's 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 very innocent, and it's and it's you know it's. Uh, but there's glimmers of there's certainly glimmers of talent there, and you can tell that something was going on. Although it's it it is, you know, it's awkward teenagers too. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Even playing in a church setting, which is a little, you know, a little confining. I mean, we, were, we weren't right. downstairs in the in the social area. We were, like, literally on the altar. We, gotcha. were, we were, like, in the sanctuary. You know? Yes. So it's not too much fun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. We're reserved, but um, it sounds polished, though. And, you know, that's the thing. I mean, music... Classes in school used to be a different thing than what they are now.
1: Well, I don't know what they are now. It's like we're lucky if we have them now. Exactly. You know, the, the idea of it's convenient to discount the importance of a musical education now yeah. for you know folks. It's it's easy to say it's not worth the money Right. because and the only reason the only people that say that are the ones that aren't educated as to the the, the value of it. Right. And not. Not just a value, but how essential it is to, to to a complete education so if if some kids are in school in a school that actually does have music education to it and a real rich one, then they're really fortunate these days too because it's it's an easy thing for for politicians and school board people to go, and eh, they can do that outside of school,
0: yeah mm-hmm. you're right. Um, it just seems like. Like there more, more people could read, and more people. I don't know. Just there were just more ensembles that worked together. And well,
1: you know, in the high school that I grew up in, there was like there was like the a cappella choir, which wasn't always a cappella, by the way. Uh, okay. I was in kind of like there was like a male quartet okay. called the Bachelors. There was there's a, a female version of the same thing. They are probably called the Bells, but I'm kind of guessing on that one. Yeah. You know, And then there'd be different versions of the choirs. There'd be different versions of, of uh, orchestras and concert bands and marching bands. And, right, uh, right. There was a lot of activity as far as the arts in general. I was, I was kind of back and forth between playing, being in the music room and being in the art room and being involved with the theater. You know the okay. theatrical, you know events, and the, the academics, of course, were a total afterthought. They were just kind of like my excuse to be there.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> no, didn't care too much for uh, math or science or. You know,
1: uh, I, I, There were some subjects that totally interested me. I was I was, you know, interested in history and in and in English And the humanities. Yeah. But math, I would say algebra Is really the only. There's only two classes I flunked in high school. One was algebra because I just didn't ever see needing that ever in my life, and I was totally not motivated.
0: Yeah, I can relate. And
1: the teacher was like, <laughs> "Boring."
0: <laughs> All right.
1: And the only, the other class that I flunked was a um, it was a chemistry class, and I was kind of conflicted about that because I love chemistry lab. It's like playing with Bunsen burners and making <laughs> stuff blow up. Right. But the applied math. <laughs> you know, was a deal breaker. Well, it so happened that I knew, I kind of knew the teacher because he was from the neighborhood. He was actually, you know, he was kind of like fairly young. He had only recently graduated and come back and got a job at the, you know, and I made a deal with him. I said, look, I don't need this credit to get into college. So when we do labs, I'll be here and I'll blow up stuff with the Bunsen burner. But when you're doing like when you're at the chalkboard board and we're pretending to be interested in that, I will get a pass from the art teacher. And I'll be up because I need to work on some scenery for the show that's opening like next week. And then you can give me my F. You know, it'll be cool. (laughs) And so we agreed, you know. Wow. The only reason I took that class is my guidance counselor told me I had to have it to go to college. Okay. And she was wrong, you know. I wanted to take chorus. And she said, no, you can't have chorus. You have to take chemistry, you know. So... I'm still kind of bitter about that five <laughs> I mean, talk about wrong guidance, man. It's, like, it's like, that's like, does that look like the direction I'm headed in, lady?
0: No. See, if she could only see now.
1: You could tell that I'm still kind of harboring some <laughs> resentments here. The bitterness is coming out. <laughs>
0: oh, I can, uh, I can relate to several of those things you just said.
1: <laughs> it's like, oh, chemistry instead of choir. Wow, that'll really play out well.
0: So I'm going to skip way back to when you bought your first Hammond again and just ask you how you carried the thing around. Well,
1: dollies.
3: Okay. And you know, you-
1: for one thing, I mean, if you've, got, if you've got a Hammond, I mean, you know, I was working, at the time I was working with Mike O'Neill, who once again happens to be your host <laughs> at the fabulous Serenity Hill Studios, <laughs> located right here in Donaldson. And he was the one that really kind of said, man, what you want is a B3. He said it's just like that too. He's from Oklahoma. Yeah. <laughs> what you what you want is a B three. So we went to uh, the place and and he said what you really want too if if you're going to have a B three you need dollies with that B three. So we got dollies with it. So it's been, it's been on dollies ever since.
0: Roller carries,
1: or yeah, they're, they're they're sort of they're they're specially designed That's specifically for yeah for Hammond Oregon. They're. they're you know, it's it's two two wheeled modules on both sides can, that are connected by by canvas straps.
0: Yes, and the the um the levers.
1: And then yeah, you just you step yes. on those levers and and lower the landing gear. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's up on <laughs> it's up on dollies, and you roll it out. And you know, I got good at move. I could move it by myself as long as there wasn't stairs involved. Okay, okay. If oh, there's geez. stairs and some. I'm, I have memories of moving it up fire escapes. Have you ever had to move a B three up a fire escape? I've never had to do that. No, well,
0: I've heard many people talk talk about those kinds of situations. Well,
1: your life actually flashes before your eyes. You, you squished. You, you remember things that went by, <laughs> and, 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 you, and you lament that you won't experience them anymore because you'll be dead.
4: Oh no. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Do you have a truck
1: or a van or something? I've always had a van. No longer though, you know, because my my B three currently resides uh, over at another studio. As a matter of fact, Randy, Randy Coleman's Coal Mine Studios. Okay. He uh, he's uh, he's got my B three there, and and I'm glad I'm, I'm glad that he does too. He can use it for for projects that he's working on, and if I need to track with it, I can get to it any time. And it's also an easy load if I should need it. But uh, after my last van went down. The mechanic came out and said, "Mr. Van Loan, it looks like cylinder number eight.
4: Oh so, gosh. So
1: yeah, after the, after that happened, I actually replaced it with a little blazer. Okay. You know, because I I I wasn't moving the B three for one nighters anymore okay. like I used to. Yeah. And it's got a trailer hitch on it, so if I if I you know can't can't get help, I can get a trailer.
0: Okay, so did you have a hydraulic lift at any point? I know I think Maurice Winans has one. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, that's my
1: answer. No, I. Not only did I not have a hydraulic lift, I did, but I did have a chiropractor.
0: <laughs> that's hilarious. He
1: was an insurance scammer, but he was good. <laughs> he, he fixed stuff, you know. <laughs> but yeah, no, I don't need a stinking hydraulic lift.
0: <laughs> You're cracking me up. <laughs> Um, I, I think Reese Winans has one. I've always kind of, I want one today. Well, you know, my housemate had a tiller uh, delivered to the house today, and th- that thing was, you know, lowered down on a hydraulic lift, and I was like, oh, there's my wish again. That would be so yeah,
1: nice. Yeah. Well, I, I got, I got real good at loading it in and out of the van, you know, for for decades.
0: You carry you a know. ramp too.
1: Uh, would you you well I I kind of did in one one period of it but it kind of got to be unnecessary I just had this technique where I'd move I'd move it a half of an organ at a time I would pop the wheels into the van you know and then I would just get on the other side and lift up the, the second half and just move it in you know, and I think, I. you know, I'm, I'm kind of old now, but I think I could still do it because it's more in, it, it, it's a more of a, a matter of leverage than actually heavy lifting, you know. Gotcha. You remember not to lift her with your back and just lift with with your legs.
0: Yes. Have you named your B3? Oh,
1: that's a, you know... <laughs> Not really officially, but I did refer to it like as Aunt Helen from <laughs> it's kind of like well oh, that's Aunt Helen in that box there she always comes out to the gigs.
0: Do you know what year she is
1: but uh, the the current one is I, I knew exactly because I actually had the had the had the serial numbers kind of checked, and if I remember correctly it's it's a nineteen fifty seven it's definitely you know kind of like. Late 50s. Yeah? For sure.
0: Mine's a 58.
1: I like those 50s organs. They have a little bit of a chunkier, a little bit less... A little bit less of a polished sound to him that I kind of like.
3: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, uh, sometimes the, the the one over at Serenity Hills is, is that I use a lot is like a sixty-two, and it has more of an elegant sound. It's still very earthy, you know, yeah. and it's still also superior to the you know the seventies ones. Some of those are just they're just not that great. Yeah, you know, they really kind of got cheap with materials, and and some of them just sound. Like, all you can really do is, you know, come to Jesus and hold
0: (laughs) (laughs) them. Right? Do you work on your own organ? Do you have someone who works on it?
1: Well, I certainly did. Yeah? I've done, you know... Soldering and all that? Yeah, I was good for field repairs. Okay. You know, so, like, really good stuff. The last time I really had my B3 worked on, it was... It was worked on by a dear friend of mine and a musical accomplice by the name of C.J. Vaughn. Do you know C.J.?
0: I I know the name. I think I do.
1: He's a guitar. He's he's kind of retired right now from music because he wound up. He's got two kids, and a a, a pretty intense day job too. But uh, it, uh, he was he was kind of like a sort of a child prodigy really on the guitar and on vocals. A really noticeable part of the the, the scene here in Nashville for 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 a long time. And, and I imagine he will he will return you know once once he can afford the time to be able to do it yeah. but he also developed his love for b3s and you know in his kind of which is a standard overachiever fashion for him he wound up learning like like how it, every little molecule in there is kind of put together so there was a one solder connection that I've actually had some b3 repair guys say you know you just ought to throw that thing away, you know. And I went, "Oh, how, how rude!" <laughs> right. And CJ, man, he he wound up putting the hours into it that it would not have been worth it for, for 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 anybody. He wound up having to make to, to make three hundred different solder disconnections and reconnections just to get to this one solder joint.
4: Oh my goodness!
1: You know, so he he took that thing apart down to the molecular level. What? And uh, and it's now. It just. I mean, it just. It's really. I mean, I can actually slice people's heads off with that, that (laughs) (laughs) which I try not to do.
0: Wow! So you're very, very pleased with how your organ's sounding. These yeah, days. it's a and
1: great, it's a great old axe, and it, it deserved to be saved. You know, and, <gasps> absolutely. And uh, the thing that's the thing that that's still an issue with it it's because it's an older organ. The key combs on the B three, as you know, on those older instruments, instead of having nylon spacers, they have like felt. Spacers, and those ones have kind of gotten a little bit worn out. Yeah. So there's when you play it, there's like a lot of clanking going on. It sounds like you're playing like a Carillion keyboard. <laughs> you know? So as long as the Leslie's in a different room, that's okay. Yeah. But it would be nice to have some, to have those felts replaced, or or just probably the easiest thing is just to get some new keycombs.
0: Okay. So maybe that's dumb. If
1: we're not nerding out too much here, for, <laughs> for you people at home.
0: Well, hey, if you, you know, this show is for keyboard players. So well, that's
1: true. It's um, that's you know, that I, I think we can, we're entitled <laughs> to geek out a little bit here. And besides, most folks really dig B three still. It's still such an alive instrument. Uh, it's like, and I, you know, my my theory about the B three and its use. Today is that still, I don't think there's anything that supports. We all know that American pop music, you know, popular music is pretty much all about the guitar, you know. I mean, right, we have to face this as keyboard <laughs> players, you know.
0: I know what you're gonna say. I
1: mean, it's, I know I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say something like, Guitar players can't live with them. End of sentence. <laughs> okay. Guitar players can't live with them, don't <laughs> have to. <laughs> <laughs> but the truth is, that's, it's all about the guitar. And usually, the guitar is, you know, if you, if you do session work, the guitar is many times doing all the heavy lifting for the song. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing that supports the sound of electric guitar quite like, you know, a Hammond organ, particularly if it's set to what I call those, those chords that sound cottony and absorbent.
0: <laughs> What's what are your favorite drawbar settings for the, for cottony? Co- oh,
1: cottony, cottony and cottony. absorbent. Yes. Well, if you're supporting a guitar, man. And, 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 you know, I would say the first and the third. You know, the subdominant and then the, you know, the, uh, and the and the tonic. And the, in between them is like I think it's a quint, something like that. So yeah, that that that's pretty soft and and cottony right there. Yeah. And, but if you need to be noticed a little bit more and fit into the mix and you need a little high, high end, you know what 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 you hear on a lot of gospel music is they'll pull out one of those little whistle stops at the top at the top end. Yeah. You know, just for a little bit, not all, not all the way, because that's nobody can nobody can hang with that. You know, makes your dental work, <laughs> you know, <laughs> seep out <laughs> of your head. <laughs> <laughs> but just a little t- touch of that to give it get a little little top end, a little bit of clarity and and definition, yeah, will sometimes be really good.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? Are you like, talking recording or live? Well, both really. Okay.
1: And it also depends on the genre too, because it's, it's, sometimes you don't want to use a gospel setting. Sometimes, you know, you, you want to use just the standard, you know, Jimmy Smith kind of like the the, the three drawbars out, and just keep it a very, you know, just keep it very plain and simple. There's a difference between you know using the the B3 as a pad in a Nashville pop tune or in a gospel song or in a blues thing. In, in R&B yeah. there's kind of a lot of style and character parts that you can play on a B3. But on a country pop tune, it's strictly you know, you don't really even want to notice it. It's just—it's more intended to kind of like you know fill up. It's—it's intended to be the glue, really, yes. between the bass and the kick and the upper melodic instruments. And it doesn't necessarily have you know make a big statement on its own,
0: right? Do you do um, do you do you do some recording? Are you what, what are you doing? What are you up to right now? I know that um, unfortunately Nick Nick died, and so now the band that you were in for seven years is. Not on the road currently.
1: Right, and they they so. will be on the road. As a matter of fact, I, I, they'll be they'll be back out traveling with a great keyboard player by the name of Al Hill, who is uh, the musical who still is I think the musical director for Betty LeVette and has been doing that that gig for quite a few years, even before he moved to Nashville. And he's also just recently won. Um, uh, uh, he was a comp- competing at the IBC a year or two ago, and okay. he, and as a single, as a solo artist. That's he, in
4: Memphis. Yeah. Okay.
1: Every year, and he did well. I think I, th- I think he, I think he won it. You know, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, and meanwhile, I've I've always been playing in the studios. I mean, since you know, since I first started, I got I, I was playing keyboards in studios before I knew how to play keyboards. It's weird.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is. What is that like?
1: But uh, yeah, it was scary just then. Now, your way around. Now, just now it's just home to, to me. You know, what I've been kind of concentrating on is uh, is uh, I like doing remote tracking. Because I'm set up to do it, set up to do it here at the house, and it's kind of, it's great because I, you know, somebody can send me their tracks. All they have to do is send me like an MP3, you know. I pop it into Pro Tools, you know, crank up the keys and do piano and or organ parts. I just finished tracking on a new Christmas album for the Reverend Jimmy Bratcher in Kansas City that way. And I was working on some library music for a friend of mine in L.A., that way, and the thing that's sweet is like I don't have to be in a particular place to do it. So if it's, it turns out that I need to live under a palm tree someplace, I can still kind of keep the same client base, you know? Yes. And of course, the best part of it is that you can go to work and don't even have to put pants on.
3: <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that is amazing.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry to leave that that image in anybody's head, but whoops.
0: <laughs> what kind of gear are you using at home, like um? Well, you know, for your keyboard.
1: Yeah, for, for for the, the main keyboard that I track with is, I use a Yamaha P120 digital piano. Yeah. And it's, it's been my go-to for, for quite a while. There's a bunch of new stuff. I love Yamaha uh, digital pianos. Their samples are just extraordinary. And, and each model is different. It's weird that there's no one sample that they use across the board. My favorite is the P120 because it, it, as a part of the sample, it's the least digitally tweaked sample. And I've I've noticed because there's many times where where I work with like a string bass player and the P120 sample has room tone and harmonics as a part of the sample and, and not as much digital tweaking, particularly in some of the the upper notes. Like if I hear a Roland, sometimes they sound really good and crisp and really good aggressive and, and aggressive for like a you know, rock and roll situation. Yes. But if you're playing. You know with a string bass player, and it's 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 there's more it's more it is the ambience in it in the P120 sample is really good, the overtones, yeah. Apparently, it just Over- to me it's just got a really good natural sound, and yeah, and I've even had it you know kind of beat out or you know, like a real uh, like a Yamaha, what is it, C9 is that the, the, the basic go to uh, yeah, studio yeah, yeah. Piano? Like the grand piano, yeah. If those aren't really if the intonation has not been you know tweaked in a while. I can I can beat one of those with the, with the P120. Yeah. And sometimes and also if you pre through like, you know, through something that's kind of nice like a UA preamp or
3: okay.
1: something you can also kind of just even get even more more depth and more more image.
0: Interesting. That's something to think about. And so, and if you needed to do like an organ track, you would just go to the studio where your B3 is and... Mm-hmm.
1: Well, no, okay. I, I do organ tracks here at the, at the house, too, and I use a VK7. It's um, kind of my, my my go-to right now. There's okay. there's some good new stuff out. Hammond has, has a great new one mm-hmm. as far as a slab organ. Nord, of course, is the one that everybody's using these days. Right. But VK7, i got to tell you, though... <clears throat> I think the good ones I don't think any of them are all that great out of the box. The ones that I like are the ones that are really editable, you know. And that's what I like about the VK7 cuz I've been sitting in front of a Leslie since 75. Yeah. And I can I can tweak on the, you know, ramp speeds up and down, I uh, different speeds for the upper and, lo- and lower road or I can select the vintage of the Leslie. I can select all kinds of stuff and get this voice. That really pleases me, you know. It, it's, it's like I, I approach it like the way I would on a, on a Hammond. Yeah. So, uh, is is it a replacement for the real thing? Not so much, you know. Uh, but the only time you can tell is if you A B him, you know. And usually that's not happened on the same track. <laughs> I did get a call to do some VK7 parts on an album. That most of the stuff had been already done, like on a Hammond organ, but there was a tune that needed to be, had had to have an organ overdub on it, and they hadn't tuned up, the guitars hadn't tuned up to like anything standard, so they are like, sort of like a half of a half of a a semitone off. And, and and they couldn't overdub real organ onto it,
3: right? Unless, so,
1: uh,
0: unless if you were like at um, the slower current,
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like if, off you had, if you had or if something? you had a generator that was on some sort of a rheostat, <laughs> right? I think you could do that, you know, or you had some sort of like a voltage controller.
0: Yeah, Murph Wonko was talking about that.
1: Yeah. Okay. Oh. You could you could tune an organ that way, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, that that was <laughs> that was not a possibility. That was actually considered at the time. So so I got um, so I wound up tracking like a couple of tunes on this album that already had Hammond all over
3: okay. it,
1: you know, real Hammond. And honestly, the VK seven parts that I did fit in seamlessly with what was going on with the other Hammond stuff. There was no there was there was no I don't know. George, he just switched <laughs> to a fake organ. <laughs> right. It's like, it's like fake news, fake organ. <laughs> <clears throat>
4: right.
1: There was none of that, so I'm real happy with the voice. But on the other hand, if I'm remote tracking somebody, somebody's going, oh, I, you know. But I've, I, I love the piano parts, but I've got to have the real thing on this. This is going to be a real exposed part, and it's a feature thing, and yeah. I want the whole, the whole that that, that whole thing that you get. Yeah. And so I totally get that. So I, that's totally available too. I, I, what I do is I just kind of tack on a pretty nominal studio charge to you know compensate for the time. If I'm going someplace, you know, say for example I take it to fabulous Serenity Hills, located only minutes from downtown. <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, have you been a DJ as well?
1: Uh, you know, I did voiceover work.
0: <laughs> How did I know? I, just <laughs> I had a feeling. <laughs> I love
1: that work, man. I, I, yep. I, I don't have any clients here in Nashville. I, I should probably kind of develop it. but uh,
3: You sure could. I, I,
1: I did that regularly, you know, in uh, in KC, just doing Interesting. voiceover stuff. I
0: just knew it. <laughs> I
1: was the voice of the National Association of Independent Truckers
0: <laughs> what? for
1: a couple of years. Really? Really. I would tell... I would t- I would make these monthly tapes, you know, t- telling truckers how to run their biz- business. And they're they, I, I would be giving them an, all this advice on stuff that I was so not doing in my own life. You know, I felt like a real hypocrite.
0: <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe an hour ago. I know we're going to have to probably bring this to a close because I have to go teach piano. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, things, but, sure. but I'm going to say maybe an hour ago you talked a little bit about like a detour. Like, you get to Nashville, and you're going to be a songwriter, and then, bam, you know, the money guy leaves the publishing company, and you end up playing gigs here, you know. It's it's funny, reversals like that um, are strange and unexpected. You
1: know, I kind of think that it happens to a lot of people that move to Nashville, though. You know, you come come with yeah. a certain dream in mind, you know, and maybe maybe it's like wherever you are, whatever it is that you're doing, you, you have your certain dream that you want to do, and sometimes it remains... But sometimes you also have to have to be really aware of making course adjustments. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. what I, I like to do when I would <laughs> when I would when I was still would run the Monday to jams at Bourbon Street, I would run into folks that had just moved to town. I lo- I would love to frighten them. I would go, you know, <laughs> you know. There's two things that Nashville has taught me. <laughs> One is the value of free food. <laughs> And the other thing is how to kiss my dreams goodbye. <laughs> and they would usually, yeah, they would usually break out in tears and run away.
0: <laughs> yes, run right away.
1: So yeah, yeah. There's there's some dreams that you know. I mean, when I, I thought I was going to move here to town, I was going to get like a little side gig, maybe playing with somebody famous, you know. And I eventually did, but I mean, mostly I I went to work at the Starlight for many years, which was like as invisible a gig as it. Could be as far as the industry is concerned. Yeah, there was. We were certainly a part of people's lives, and I've got great memories and stories from from that from that experience.
3: I
0: want to come back sometime and have just a story hour with you. Yes. Oh. <laughs> I got a feeling You'll be sorry (laughs) No, no, I don't think so I got a feeling You've got incredible stories I don't know Like, I mean Books and books worth of. Yeah Thanks
1: for the interest I really I appreciate it Yeah Yeah. Good luck editing this stuff out And I hope you do edit
0: (laughs) I don't know I usually don't But, you know I don't know um,
1: this could be different. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, I don't think so. I I just like the free flow um, conversation. Sure. You know, I try to come up with. I mean, I, I just hope that it, the thing that bothers me the most is later on. I'll think, why didn't I ask? That, 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 that? You know, it'll come to me. Like that would have been the perfect chance to ask. that, that you know.
1: <laughs> really, and, and I'll go like Ooh, I should have said I should have said <laughs> The French actually have a word for that It's called l'esprit d'escalier And it means the spirit of the staircase it means like as soon as you've left you 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 walked out. and You're on the staircase on your way home, and you go, "Oh, I should have said." Ah, and I think that's a great term. I love that. You know, yeah, the spirit of the staircase.
0: <laughs> I'm already out the door and on to the know. next thing. Sometimes and, it's uh,
1: a, it's in an argument. It's like, "Oh, I should have said," you know? <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> well, okay, let's let's close with this, and and we'll see. Um, let's say I have a student or two or. Th- ten in my studio that are really interested in Hammond, Oregon. What advice would you give them for getting started?
1: Well, well, first of all, just have access to one. Yeah? You know, it's like the same as starting with any keyboard. You know, it's like you just need to have one.
0: That's what I love about the gospel tradition. They're so lucky in the... um, you know, African American gospel tradition that they—they're so often one in the church.
1: And you know, it is a lot of people get started in the church. I, that was certainly, we, we didn't have gospel music. You know, I had to wait till I got to Kansas City to find out about that. But we had music, and we had really good music too. And, and the music was an important part. It was—it was the way I found. It was the only way I, I could find. I mean, my parents were encouraged me, don't get me wrong. You know, my my dad would set me and my sister down in front of the record player, and we would sing along with Tom Lehrer songs when guests would come to visit. Do you know who Tom Lehrer is? I do not. He was like a satirist. He was like blacklisted during the McCarthy era, and he wrote songs like Poisoning the Pigeons in the Park and Pollution and <laughs> the Vatican Rag. You know?
0: <laughs> wow. Kind and of like a so, Randy Newman?
1: Well, but more satirical. Okay. More satirical. He was very pointed about some of some of his stuff, you know.
2: Okay.
1: So me and my little sister, we're little angelic little cherubs, and we didn't know why everybody was laughing. We'd be singing sit, sitting by the the, <laughs> the, the, the the record player, and this is our first music. We were singing like "The Old Dope Peddler." <laughs> when the shades of night are falling, comes a fellow everyone knows. Is the old dope peddler spreading joy wherever he goes? <laughs> and we're going like, what's that's not funny. We were picturing like a somebody like in a monk's outfit and just spreading joy. <laughs> Thanks, Dad.
0: <laughs> oh, you did. He sounds great. What a cut up.
1: Yeah, he, he was. He was. He was a funny guy too, but very uh, very informed. He turned me on to some of my favorite books and some of my favorite music.
0: Which uh, name two or three favorite books?
1: Still to this day, one of my favorites. When my dad gave it to me was when I was in fifth grade, and I read it, reread it every year until I graduated from high school. He gave me my first copy of *The Lord of the Flies* by William Golding.
0: Yeah, I remember reading that book.
1: I just remember it. I just, it stunned me. And then the next time I read it, I got a totally different thing out of it. First time I read it, it was just an adventure story. Then I started reading it with its socio-political, and then its religious overtones, and it's, just, it's all kinds of stuff going on with that book. And I still love it. Yeah. I haven't read it in a while. Yeah. Favorite uh, favorite uh Favorite books? Other favorite books? Gosh, what... That one just popped out at me.
0: I got too. Um you mentioned Ed Sullivan. Who who was your favorite act on Ed Sullivan show?
1: Well, Victor Borg. The only okay. time I, we've you know, my parents were European so we had pretty we always had formal dinners. We were always in the dining room when dad came home from from uh from work. He'd commute in from New York City you okay. know, to oh, to, wow. our, to our little goat farm and we would do dinner, you know. Yeah. And um the only time we ever ate dinner on TV tables. We got the TV tables if Victor Borgo was on Ed Sullivan.
0: Okay. ah, Yeah.
1: So Victor Borgo. And I remember the first time I ever saw... There's a, there's a great uh, San Francisco funk band called Cold Blood with Lydia Pence vocal. And they are still doing it in San Francisco. And still doing it funky. And Lydia Pence is still one of the great, you know one of the great funk singers ever. And I first saw I first saw them on the Ed Sullivan show, and I'm going, gosh, they've got even longer hair than the Beatles. <laughs> they were doing Down to the Bone, I remember really well. I said, you know where it's at? It's down to the bone, getting down, down, down to the bone. And Lydia would be going, you know, just... Just yelling and stuff, it was great Man, I gotta check this stuff out Cold Blood, you haven't heard them? Check no them out. Lydia is still There was a short period of time where the three baddest white chick singers Were Janis Joplin, Bonnie Bramlett, and Lydia Pence You know, Janis of course is no longer with us Bonnie, I'm glad to say, is not only totally with us But I had a chance to record a duet with her on one of my original tunes And she sang on my solo album how, how thrilled do you think I was?
0: I'm very thrilled. That's
1: the sound of a passing bus there, ladies <laughs> and gents.
0: <laughs> what is the name of your solo album?
1: It's called uh, Midnight in Kansas City.
0: Okay. So they can find that on Apple Music?
1: Well, or? it's been out for a while, so they, they'd have to look for it on the Amazon.com. A copy shows okay. up. I'm kind of thinking about doing a re-release, though. It still holds up. I've got yeah. Bonnie on there, Joel Sanye, Johnny Neal's on there. Okay. Some folks from... Uh, just yeah, some some folk, friends from Kansas City and and Nashville.
0: I think I heard that on Austin P's student radio station. like a tune, a cut off of that album I, last you know. summer pretty sure I did
1: yeah that, that, they that, play it that, that's that,
0: I love that station that's good to know that's a great radio station
1: it really is yes. the, uh, the the uh, the mentor for that radio station that department at Austin P, for many years who's passed on now John Mosley he was a dear friend of ours from from Kansas City
0: what do you know okay yeah. It makes sense.
1: He's the one I, as far as I know. I mean, he's so you know ingrained in the fabric of of, of that whole department. I mean, he was, yes. he was he was really a mentor and really loved by all the students and
0: Well, they play blues all day on Wednesday. Wednesday is blues. Oh, you day. Know, I
1: need to know that. It's
0: I, for real. Yeah. yeah. And the it's really good stuff too. Monday and Friday is classic rock and it's deep cuts. You know, Emerson Lake and Palmer. There's a whole bunch of Hammond organ.
1: Uh-huh, on yeah. Monday and Fridays. And well, you know, it certainly was because John Mosley's claim to fame—well, not his claim to fame, but his in his past—he was the uh, he was the organist in the the group that did Snoopy and the Red Baron. What was what was that? What was the name of that group?
0: I can't. I sort of remember, but can't.
1: There's videos with him, and he was like a B three collector. I mean, like about four of them in his basement.
0: Oh gosh, I don't know. I should try to look that up. The out. Royal Guardsman. Oh, okay. Okay.
1: So, yeah, John Mosley, the uh, the mentor of the Austin P broadcast department was the Played on Snoopy and the Red Baron, folks. I had no idea. Pretty cool. <laughs> well,
0: uh, yeah, I it's I think it's 91.9, I think. And it's, um, it's a weak station, so you may not be able to get it just everywhere. Yeah, that
1: might, be, that might have been the problem why I don't have it on my dial. Uh, usually I keep my, my yeah. car radio glued to like a PBS station. Yeah, yeah. But uh,
0: but on a good day, I think you might be able yeah, to I'll, it. Yeah, I'll
1: look for that. Yeah,
0: I wish that they broadcast online, but I don't think that they do. At least they didn't last summer it. Well, Larry, I'm going to have to... I really hate to bring this to a close,
1: but... This has been... Well, what fun. Thank you, thank you for thanks for being interested. Ah. Uh-huh. You know? It's giving me the opportunity just to basically just blab forth. <laughs> I hope this was, it wasn't incoherent, you know?
0: Oh, I, th- I think it was great. Um, it's, I just think I'm going to be so frustrated when I think of all the other things I wish I'd asked, <sighs> but I'll just have to come back and I'll do it she again. Shabs
1: at any time.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you. I will... Uh, talk to you soon hopefully and hear you play even sooner
1: thanks amy
2: Count its many tears while we all sup sorrow with a pole. There's a song that will linger forever in our ears. Oh, hard times come again no more. It's the song, the sigh of the wind. Hard times times come again no more Many days you have lingered All around my cabin door Oh, hard times come again no more While we seek mirth and beauty And music, light and gay there are frail forms fainting at the door Though their voices a silent Their pleading looks will say Oh, hard times come again no more It's the song and the sigh of the wind times come again no more. Many days you have lingered all around my cabin door. Oh, hard times come again no more. A that is wafted across the troubled wave. A cry heard upon the shore. It's a dirge that is murmured all around the lonely grave. Oh, hard times come again no more. It's a song of the sigh of the weary Hard times, hard times come again no more Many days you have lingered all around my head And oh, oh, hard times come again more Yeah, no.